Hey guys, so before you get into the episode, just a heads up, this was originally a Patreon-only episode, but uh, we, after recording it and uh, putting that out, you know, all the Patreon listeners got to hear this already, but we did get the opportunity to interview James Murphy, who is uh, one of the main topics on this episode. So we really couldn't resist the opportunity to, you know, release this kind of as a full package, you know, us talking about one of his, not solo albums, but one of his uh, big albums that he had recorded, kind of an underground classic, and then getting to talk to him about that album and about his, we, and we talked about all, all kinds of stuff, him getting into death, played on spiritual healing, you know, playing with obituary, and playing with testament, just the guy was so full of stories. I had so many questions for him, and I, I think I asked five because he just was going and going with story after story. It was awesome. So anyways, if you want to hear the rest of the episode, that's on the Patreon. We know we talked about what we're listening to like we normally do and everything. I think there was about maybe 45 extra minutes on that one. Um, but yeah, otherwise everything should be here. So you can just kind of consider this maybe a preview of maybe what some of our bonus stuff's going to be. Everything else should be here. And uh, like I said, we're not going to be normally doing that for our Patreon episodes. This is kind of a special occasion where uh, we thought, you know what, we'll release a portion of it and pair it with this uh, pretty badass interview, which will be at the end of the episode. So hope you guys enjoy. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Into the Combine. We have a uh, very special episode for our patron listeners out there. This is actually the first of our bonus episodes. Uh, to kick it off, we are going to get to know some of our listening metalheads. I'm your host, Shadi. I'm Jason. We have with us... Oh, I'm Chris from uh, Northern California. This is Dave from Springfield, Missouri. And let's break it down before we tell you guys what the hell's going on. <laughs> All right. God damn. Hell yeah. <laughs> I dug that. It sounded vaguely familiar, but I, I can't put a name to it. So yeah, that was uh Wolf King. The album's not out yet. It's it's uh it's coming out soon on prosthetic. Okay. And I'm forgetting the name of the album, but um if you look up Wolf King, shouldn't be too hard. 
I don't I don't know anything about them. We got a promo for these guys, and it's a lot of like uh, it's hardcore, but it's got a lot of deathy elements, and they call themselves kind of like black and hardcore, which I, I can see a little bit. So it's different. It's not just your normal um, straightforward hardcore. It's got some cool shit going on if you like more of the extreme stuff. Was the guy's vocals, did he vary them at all, or was it all just that far to the tilt the whole time? Yeah, dude, they're pretty raw the whole time. Damn. It's, it's, damn, that's how, it almost reminded me of uh, that uh, Get the Shot record. Yeah, damn yeah. as in like, damn, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, honestly, the Get the Shot, it's kind of, uh, it is kind of similar to that, to be honest with you. It's it's a super like high, fast-paced, high-energy kind of stuff. So I listened to most of the album the other day, and it, it's solid. It's pretty solid all the way through. So, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time, but it's it's I'd recommend it so far. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. So the reason we're, uh, we're fumbling around today is uh, we don't have our fearless leader, Stan, the man, with us. Dude, he, I uh, resent that you said that. Fearless leader, my ass. I think he's afraid of mold, yeah, isn't he? Without him. Yeah, he's got yeah, he's got some little mold problem, and he's making a big deal out of it. He's out of the house, and he acts like you know he's gonna get sick from it. Just a little toxic black yeah. mold. I mean, what do you you know? Put the metal on and breathe it in. <laughs> yeah, that's what they make respirators for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. You can but anyway, throw sorry, on a Jason. Mask. Continue your your breakdown of the episode. <laughs> no, that's a good point. He needs to put on a goddamn uh, one of them filter masks. Come and do the episode. Yeah, I mean, they look pretty metal to me. Yeah. No, good point. We'll bring that up to him. But um, so we have a couple <laughs> listeners with us today that were uh, nice enough to fill in for Stan. We did we did need two people though to fill Stan's shoes. That's how good he is. So. <laughs> um so the reason we've got our uh two listeners here we didn't want to we didn't want to wait for stan too long just because you know now that we've got this patreon thing going we wanted to get something out there since people are throwing a little money in and helping us out so we said fuck it let's uh let's get some people on here and just do it without them so yeah. we don't we're not usually going to do our episodes quite like this one where we're it's kind of like our normal setup i guess we're talking about what we're listening to and then we're gonna do uh I don't know. We're going to talk. We're going to see what you guys are into metal wise. And then we're going to jump into a another throwback review. This one Dave picked. Uh, this is Disincarnate Dreams of the Carrion Kind, which is pretty cool review to do since it's kind of a, I guess you could say maybe a overlooked classic, maybe. I would go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave helped us out with that. So like we said before, this is the Patreon shit. You guys can kind of like tell us whatever you want us to do and we're probably going to do it. So. That's kind of the breakdown. All right. Um, I guess so, Chris, you're, where are you from again? California? Yeah, so I'm from Rohnert Park, California. Well, um, I grew okay. up in Salt Lake City, but I moved out here just a few years ago. It's uh, Northern California, like about an hour north of San Francisco. So it's nice and warm there right now. Beautiful, probably. It is pretty nice out right now, yes. <laughs> about 70 degrees, perfect, so. Dick. Um, <laughs> I know, man. It's like fucking 30 and rain, 35 and raining here. Uh, where are you guys 84 at again? yesterday. God, the both of you go to hell. Jesus. <laughs> how, how about I'm you, I'm coming Dave? at you guys from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. Which oh, is, that's right. That's right. Which is an hour north of Branson, Missouri, if you've ever heard of that place. Okay. So, Dave, I know you but you said you're an older metalhead. So, you've... Sadly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you probably teach us a few things about the classics, I'm sure, but... um. You said you were at some you were at some pretty badass shows like in the nineties and stuff. I was kind of curious maybe what some of your the best shows you've been to have been. Um, yeah, I got to I got to uh, come of age during the uh, the heyday of death metal, like in the mid to late nineties, when okay. like 
huge like bands like were getting signed to major labels and getting like a ton of cash dropped behind them for tours and stuff. My uh, probably two shows come to mind that were just incredible. Um, in 1994, I saw Sinister, Cynic, and Cannibal Corpse. Um, Cynic. Damn. <laughs> okay, not bad. Yeah. In the same night? Same night, same bill. They were all on tour together. Damn. <laughs> um, it was. Son of a bitch. I think it was uh, Chris Barnes' last album with Cannibal Corpse, uh, The Bleeding, which to me is the pretty much the epitome of death metal. So I got to see him on his <laughs> yeah. last tour with the band, and they were just. They were just goddamn on fire. It was like I've never seen anything like that. Just. Just the amount, just the intensity. I mean, even with like uh, Corpse Grinder now, still doesn't kind of come back to that kind of intensity. Yeah. And, you know, also I was, uh, gosh, 18 at the time. So that might have colored it a little bit too. Um, but Cynic, right, right. yeah, uh, Cynic, they, that was their only tour for their debut album that they did in the States. And seeing them was, it, it was kind of like a, an interesting, you know, two-sided coin i got to see uh, sinister which are they're a killer band but when you're on the bill with cynic and cannibal corpse it's gonna be pretty goddamn hard to, yeah. to hang with them like i wouldn't have wanted to open on that tour at all but cynic were just just absolutely brilliant i mean everything you you kind of would hear about them and how they played they, they it was just spot on like i've never seen any band nail a performance live like they did and then right after that's them, awesome right after them cannibal comes on and just destroys that's a cool combo though you know it's not just like bludgeoning over the head band after band you get that more proggy stuff going on and then you get to get bludgeoned that's sweet yeah and then so yeah that <laughs> i love how you put it <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was it was also pretty no cool. that's what i like though it was also cool because back in the day, if you were just, you know, got to the club early enough and just hung out, like all the bands would just come outside and start bullshitting with you in the parking lot. So got to hang out with everybody from Cynic and talk to them and got to hang out with everybody from Cannibal Corpse, which this is so long ago that I remember Chris Barnes being stoked because the Kmart across the street from the club had Ace Ventura Pet Detective just came out on DVD <laughs> and they were in that movie. God damn it, yeah. dude. They, oh, yeah. They, they came They came back. They're like, oh, man, it's out. It's out. Holy shit. We finally got it. And they, they like all piled <laughs> into the bus to watch it. And I was like, you know, at the time, I was like, that's awesome. You know, that one of these bands that, you know, 30% of the world even knows about and only probably 5% even likes are, you know, getting to see this for themselves and get them on this big stage. Yeah. So that was really cool. That was, that was a cool show. Um, another show that stands out was... Uh, dissection at the gates and morbid oh, angel. Fuck. Uh, Come on, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> yeah, we're done talking. We're done talking. That's unfair. It's, it's gonna get worse, man. One of the moderators kicked Dave out of here. <laughs> we're done. It's gonna get worse because uh, holy shit, at the gates were on tour for their uh, slaughter of the soul album. Goddamn. <laughs> and, uh. and and like a uh, dissection came on and they they were awesome loved them they were killer um but pun not intended um <laughs> and, well that's what that's what makes it even worse like you, we don't even have a chance we can't even there's yeah. no way we can and uh, see that and then at the gates came on and like the whole time i you know had seen videos and listened to them a bunch and I kept thinking to myself, this guy's throat is going to be blown out like after the second song. There's no way he can keep that up for an entire set. And damned if he didn't nail it 
the whole way through. <laughs> and uh, Morbid Angel oh, came man. on, and they they were that was when they were still at their kind of pinnacle and had all of the original members in the band. So yeah, those are two shows. What do you guys got? <laughs> well, I don't know yeah. how I'm gonna uh, no, how I'm gonna top that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> Jesus, uh, man. As far as you know, trying to think of anybody, you know, maybe a sort of like kind of legendary band. I I don't have too many metal. I don't know. You know, I know some of you guys on here into hardcore, but um, I saw yeah. Botch when they were still around. Um, I was pretty young. Well, that's I cool, think I was actually sure. in like seventh grade, and that show was was really awesome. Not quite dissection awesome, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it. I feel pretty good that I got to see those guys. Uh, around because that's kind of that's kind of where my my roots roots are what got me into heavy music to begin with yeah i'm with you on that man more recently though um well somewhat recent i think maybe like 12 years ago i saw uh iron maiden motorhead and dio all in one show and um (laughs) that was pretty pretty badass just to uh regardless of where you you know how you feel about all those bands like just to see three legendary bands like that all in one night was was pretty badass tough tough to beat that and then um about three years ago on halloween i got to see king diamond out here in san francisco and that was on halloween away too yeah on halloween (laughs) that's so awesome yeah and just the whole stage setup with him and just you know they i was blown away because just going into it, you know, King Diamond has been around for so long at this point. You figure maybe he's phoned it in a little bit. Maybe his voice is kind of shot. And it wasn't any of that, man. He sounded great. The live performance was awesome. The whole setup was there. And it was it was badass. So The theatrics was, was cool. I've never seen him oh, live. Yeah. I always kind of wonder if it came off corny or if it's just badass. No, it was awesome. I mean, you know, it's... It, yeah, it was badass. Especially being on Halloween. Like, if you ever get the chance to see him, yeah. I would. I mean, he... They they went all out the entire stage was was set up just everything you'd expect from you know inverted crosses and the fire and the jail cells and you know bringing out abigail and having the characters come on stage and stuff it was it was badass so it was almost it was almost like a a musical in a way you know yeah. Like just yeah. the way that the stage setup was and, and all of that. So it's on yeah. my wish list for sure. Shot how what you got a favorite man? Uh dude, it's been hard through the years to pick <laughs> out one show. Yeah. I don't know. I seriously and, like you're you're kinda of putting me on the spot here. Like I I mean, I guess a recent show that I've been to that's still in the back of my mind that's blowing you know, that's blowing me away is Masuga. I mean, they were amazing for the type of music that they play, for how tight they were on stage combined with all the lights and just how good the you know the venue sounded yeah but yeah i mean the legendaries i mean fucking i missed at the gates when they did their tour yeah, yeah i mean it's fuck it should be cool I've, I've never i've never gotten to see him live yet so i'm sure that'd be a cool experience i know for me i was trying to think and like uh i go back to when we went and saw obituary with cannibal and was, that was um, a yeah you know, who it was kind was of a, a skeleton witch, right? No, not skeleton no. witch. Uh, might have been cryptopsy or. Oh yeah, yeah, cryptopsy. You're right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it was a really cool show, and I was just really blown away because obituary. I had never seen him before, and I I expected I was a bigger fan of Cannibal, but I actually left being a bigger not a bigger fan of obituary, but just a ton of respect because their live show was amazing. I mean, they were. I, 
it, it, just something about the way they play and the grooves and everything. It works so well live. And I remember just really being blown away at uh, how good they still are and everything. And that was the first time we got to go on a tour bus and do an interview and everything. So it was kind of just like the whole experience yeah, of the yeah. night. Yeah, that was a, a great show, dude. That was a real great show. And then Cannibal came out and fucking killed it too. So it, I, that's probably my... One of my, my better memories as far as shows go for me. Just so I don't right. uh, pigeonhole myself as the old guy who only saw shows in 94. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years back, I got to see um, After the Burial before their guitarist uh, passed away. And they they were so tight and so good. And I just remember watching them and uh, they were the middle act. I think Vail Amaya was headlining. And when they came out, uh, they just destroyed it. And I was thinking to myself, like, damn, they're they're close. They're going to be headlining and doing tons of they're go- they're going to blow up. And then it was like maybe six months, a year later, their guitarist uh, passed away. And yeah. but they that that show was like just it's one of the few times where you know you could be in a show watching it and you just kind of catch yourself in the middle of it going jesus christ this is good i'm almost positive jason and i went to that same tour when i came through michigan and yeah fucking you had justin on the one side with the green guitar and trent on the other side with that like pink guitar and them just playing off of each other the whole time yeah dude i remember i think we've seen after the burial i think i was like maybe two or three times before justin passed away dude maybe more fucking every single time we remember being like that band is amazing yeah because yeah it was i'm right there with you man that's yeah, I did. I completely forgot. I even like that's mm-hmm. the issue with concerts is fuck. <laughs> I know. I forget yeah. how many you've gone to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, bands like Black Dahlia, we've seen them so many times. After the Barrel, we've seen them by five times. I, I'm, and, but every time though was just as good as the first. Honestly, they were yeah. one. I mean, we've because we've even even seen them a couple times after Justin. So you know when they had the the, the recorded track over it before they right. got the second guitarist. So I'm really glad they kept yeah. going because they were. I it's such it's like I couldn't even imagine the kind of loss you feel after you know you're on tour with a guy and kind of grow up with him and then. He's gone and died the way he did, but I was really glad to oh, see yeah. that they, yeah, no they, they kept going. And I, I really want to see him now to just sadly just to kind of see, you know, live if they're still just as insane as they always were. Yeah, yeah. I know they kept, they held it up when we saw them. It was like only a year or so after. And they had the backing track, which is always yeah. kind of a bummer, but it, I mean, it sounded great. So I yeah, couldn't complain, did. really. Okay, so now I'm no longer the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so let's get into this discussion here.
So Dave, you got to introduce this one, man, since this was your idea and your pick. Whenever I saw the uh, in the Patreon, the three albums that were thrown out for the the classic review, and um, I saw those, I was like, oh, those are you know eye catching. Like, yep, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. But sadly, not many people have heard of Disincarnate, and um, I, I don't think they, as far as I can remember, they never really got any tours that I can that I was privy to. And every time I show somebody this album or I you know send them a link to it. They kind of had the same reaction that I think, uh, Jason, that you had. You were like, damn, this is, I had no idea this existed. This is James Murphy's own band. Yeah. Um, I, I love the, I love the album. It is, it's almost the, um, the, the quintessential death metal album. It clicks all the marks. It's got the intro, it's got the outro, it's got, uh, the drum intro song. I mean, everything is just, it's almost a, a perfectly encapsulated 90s death metal album from start to finish. So before you go too far, um, for those who might not know, James Murphy, like when I looked it up, I saw this was James Murphy's project. I was immediately interested just because James Murphy was in Death Spiritual Healing album. He played on, he played, I know he did all, uh, he was uh, just did the lead stuff, the solos in Obituary Cause of Death, uh, another huge album. And then I know he was also in Testament on two of their albums, Low and The Gathering, I believe. Yep. And then he's in, he's a producer now, so he's just uh, kind of one of those legendary in in the scene, you know, guitarists. And so, yeah, the fact that I hadn't heard of it, I was like, "What the fuck? This came out in '93, you know, it's a death metal album, and it was really good." So, yeah, I thought this would be a perfect one to kind of highlight. Another interesting thing about this album is, um, like I previously said, with a, a lot of instrumental music it just kind of just starts getting so technical that there's not a whole lot of flow with it. So I was, when I remember when it came out, I was curious. It's like, okay, this guy who has put down solos over so many albums, can he actually write a song? Cause I know I've seen quite a few gifted soloists and lead guitar players who, when it comes to writing a song, they, they either lose interest or it's boring or something, but, and then this came out and it's catchy as hell. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm just confused as to why uh, it's not more known. <laughs> I, I mean, it's uh, it's a great album. Everything from the the songwriting to the production for the time, uh, it's 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 awesome. I loved the groove in it. I loved the kind of breakdown parts with the just the guitar riffs over the top of it going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, the whole time I was listening to it and kind of seeing the pedigree of, you know, who was behind it and everything, it was kind of lost on me as to why yeah. I didn't know about it and why it seems like a lot of other people didn't know about it. So, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's a great album. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because um, I probably would have never known about it if not. Shouty, is it going to be a four for four or no? Yeah, dude, it's definitely a four for four. I'm in okay. the same boat. I was like, why the fuck have I not heard of this before? <laughs> and then, like, I mean, I did a little bit more digging, and then I was like, all right, whatever. This guy's fucking like done way too much work. But then, as I was listening, I was like, why the fuck didn't he make another album? Like, why was it that this was the one off? Like, well, why do we not have anything else? I guess to listen to after did, this, uh, it's almost like it was a fucking Haley's comet that flew by during the nineties <laughs> that nobody got a chance to see. That's the issue, though, is everybody was fucking sleeping. Nobody said anything. It just like yeah. happened, and then like two or three people were like, "Oh, dude, goddamn Haley's comet!" And then nobody told anybody else about I'm it. Li- I'm like so, the guy in the action movie but, who's yeah, screaming. It, it got added to my vinyl. Like, I need to buy it to put it on the wall because it's a gem. I mean, it's yeah. it's a beautiful album. I was just gonna say, look on the Metal Archives page. Said they're still active, and I, you know, I don't know how much you read into that or whatever, but um, you know, I don't. Know, maybe, maybe one day we'll get another album from them. Yeah, I read that too, but I just, I took that with like the biggest grain of fuck you. Well, like, I yeah. still yeah. active. As a <laughs> no, no, no. Like, <laughs> I did do some research though, and it's an interesting story because. He did this right after he did death, then he did obituary, and then he was like, fuck it, I'm going to try doing something on my own, um, since he was always kind of, uh, you know, not the the primary writer. And, you know, 93, death metal was kind of in a weird place and whatnot. You know, it just didn't catch on. I don't know if the label didn't push it, or I think that something happened with the label too. So it's kind of one of those nightmare situations, and so... He, he put it down and then the testament thing happened and obviously that's going to be your priority when you get into be get into testament for a while and then right. the dude had like brain uh, tumors and stuff so that oh, put Jesus. him off for a while but so I've heard yeah right so I mean he's been through a lot of shit but I've heard in interviews that he does he, he is writing and stuff like I think his goal is to put out another one but you know with everything he's had go on I think this just he's you know his his main thing is producing now so. Well, Who knows? Yeah, well, Godspeed to him. I didn't know about the health shit. Sorry about accusing him saying fuck you to all of us. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's honestly, man, I just, I liked it so much. I just wanted something else. I could tell there was talent there. So I just wanted, especially for it to be, you know, fucking out in 93. Like, it again, held the test of time. Could have came out yesterday. Would have been on mm-hmm. all of our top 10 lists. So... Yeah, that's one of the things that I noticed listening to it is it's just like, you know, you, you listen to everything else going on at the time and it's perfectly comparable, like musicianship and everything going on there. The songwriting, it was it was awesome. Just couldn't believe that uh, more people don't know about it. When I first clicked it and I started with Stench of Paradise Burning, you know, like this is the actual first song on there and those fucking, uh, it starts off so heavy, like with the, the riffs. Uh, he does those like pinch harmonic kind of stuff and everything and the first couple tracks and like that caught my uh, ears immediately just it was like it definitely sounded like what was going on in the 90s but you could tell you know there was something a little different yeah Yeah, just something different it really was the weird thing about the album for me like the more i think about it um you think that james murphy guested on tons of albums back in the day and I believe there's only one guest appearance on the Disincarnate album on uh, Monarch of the Sleeping Marches. My Dying Bride singer trades off in the chorus of that song with Disincarnate singer. But aside from that, there's no other guest 
stars or anything, which you figure if he was so, you know, outgoing and playing on other people's stuff, he would have brought some people in to play on his stuff. But I guess it just that wasn't his vibe or hmm. wasn't what he was wanting to do. But I just I thought that was interesting. That's actually probably maybe my favorite song on there, too. I didn't know there was any guest vocals on that. Yeah, if you listen to it, um, yeah, it's 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 old school My Dying Bride. So he he's really guttural and more doomy sounding on that. It's appropriate because it's got that that song definitely slows down. It gets into that more of a heavy, what maybe the midsection. I can't remember, but it goes into a really heavy part. I don't know if that's where he comes in, but that's yeah. kind of what I liked about it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of after that part. The 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 vocalist and he trade off lines back and forth, which it sounds killer. You know, I really liked uh, some of the first songs, like uh, Stench of Paradise Burning and uh, Beyond the Flesh. I don't know, man, just just the way that it kind of weaves between the fast parts and then it'll kind of have like a breakdown and then almost go like almost like doom, you know, and the whole time you just have just just these awesome riffs over the top of it. Like, yeah, it's really, really good. It's weird, too, because it's not I was trying to figure this out because it's it's so it's a lot of speed and whatnot. But it's not, you know, it's not technical death metal per se, but it's kind of reminds me of like what suffocation we're doing where it's technical, but not arpeggio a little bit million riffs per minute or type of technical. Do you know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely heard some suffocation in there when I was listening to it. it. It just it has that it has everything to it, but it lets you breathe, you know, where the song's going, you know, what part you just listen to, you know, 
It's uh, yeah. not just all right, over the there's place. There's speed like, there, though. That's that's I think what the the kick is. Mm-hmm. But I like what Chris said. Yeah, is that it, it the songs breathe. They're not so crammed full. Like you can you hear a riff and you're like, oh damn, that's awesome. And then they'll play it, you know, half a dozen times, and they're not moving on to the next piece. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed like by the time you get to number seven, it's entranced. And that one kind of it's cool because it's, you know, mid mid album, a little after mid album. And I mean, it it kind of did that for me. Like it uh, it wasn't so much about the speed. That one was a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if I remember it was mid paced or not, but it really gave you some breathing room, which was kind of cool, you know, just to have a I like when albums do that. When you line it up right, you know, you start with the really fast stuff. You give yourself a little bit of a break in the middle, and then you kind of jump back into it. It kind of added just the right amount of variety to it. Yeah. The only no, thing, I, I, the I only agree. negative is probably like maybe just the vocals. You know, like there's nothing really stellar going on. I mean, it's fine, but nothing really um, to write home about, I guess, vocal wise. I would agree with that. The vocals are pretty. Um, there's not a lot of range there. I mean, he he's fine. He's not like it's not so, you know, distracting that it's just you can't listen to it. But there's you you feel like there's there's a lot left on the table that could have been done with if a vocalist had some range. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not bad. It's just it'd be cool I if like he does another one it. to hear wh- who he could get and what could be done with a an even better vocalist. I, re- I remember reading uh, in a magazine, because that's how goddamn long ago this was, um, that there was a rumor for a while that there was going to be a second Disincarnate album, and he was going to get the uh, Thomas from At The Gates to sing on it. Nothing ever came from that except me just you know losing my mind, wanting it for two decades. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why the fuck not? He's been on every goddamn other album. He might as well. <laughs> yeah, he's filled in for just about every band out there, so I feel like why not? That would be sick. Oh though. my god, I, I would almost love nothing more than for them to reissue the Dreams of Carrying Kind with him doing vocals on it. That that would be that would be enough for me just to just to have that. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. I think that does it for as far as this album goes. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, showing that, Dave. I, man, my library is better off having that album in it now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully everybody out there digs it and uh, checks out the whole thing because it's worth going into for sure. I'm glad I lived long enough to give young kids good metal reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to bring back uh, Old Man Dave a couple times maybe to, oh, dude, <laughs> to I, give us some of these hidden gems. Dude, I don't know. I'd love it, man. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's see here. Shaw, do you want to uh, sign us off? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm sad that this journey is finally coming to an end. I guess I shouldn't have said finally if I was happy that we were on the journey to begin with. But <laughs> we get you. We understand where you're coming from. But really, though, guys, uh, we thank you so much for having you on. We thank all the Patreon listeners uh, for being patrons of Into the Combine. We love yeah, you. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, we've already um, got quite a few just from a couple of weeks, so that's badass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we're already very grateful for what we have. So um, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We hope you look forward to some of the next episodes that we have coming up. I have no spoilers for you. Uh, I guess we should make a vote. We'll see. You <laughs> let guys us let know. us do know. We yeah. <laughs> do we, Patreon do we members need... get to vote. Yeah. Do we need Stan the man? Patreon members, yeah, we'll let us know. <laughs> Stan's fate depends on that. Yeah. Uh, but... Another successful episode of Into the Combine. I am your happy host, Shadi. I'm Jason. I'm Chris. Thank you guys for having us on. Old man Dave. Thanks, man. (laughs) All right.
You guys stay metal. Basically, on our podcast, on this episode, we, we kind of did like a spotlight on the Dis- your Disincarnate project, the album Dreams of the Carrying Kind. And uh, it was really cool to us. Uh, you know, we had not heard that before. And so it was a huge surprise. We were kind of blown away. Like, how could an album, you know, this good had passed us by? And the hosts on the co- podcast were a little younger. So, you know, we weren't there for it when it came out. So that may be part of the reason. But, yeah. it, you know, when I was doing some yeah. research, a lot of people, you know, this is an underrated classic or people that, you know, some of our listeners are really surprised by it. So I guess, is that a common thing that you get? You know, people are still discovering this album? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely still a lot of discovery for this album. And it's gone through a few stages of that. And, you know, at each point, there's usually been some sort of re-release, uh, reissuing of it. Um, it's my understanding that Listenable is about to reissue it on vinyl. At least I don't know about CD. I know they're going to do a vinyl reissue. Okay. Um, I wasn't put into the loop on that re-release at all, and I'm going to be reaching out to them to sort of find out. I think it's kind of too late for me to have any <laughs> sort of contribution at all to yeah. the liner notes or to the, you know, yeah. or just anything. They just completely failed to reach out to me. So I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a bit wary of this re- reissue. I have no idea what was done to the audio, huh. whether I approve of it or anything, you know, so... Yeah, that's kind of to lame. get back to the yeah to get back to the question at hand. You know, I, I uh, I've definitely noticed that throughout the years, uh, young people always seem to be discovering it from one one way or another. Of course, mm-hmm. online is a, you know a big way people discover it these days. They find it on their 
you know, illegal sites and all that stuff. But, you know, just even through iTunes and through uh, the uh, various reissues over the years, there's only been a couple. There was the original issue, then the very next issuance of it I'm even aware of is I think about 2005, Roadrunner themselves reissued it on CD. And uh, uh, I remastered it and I added the uh, three demo tracks mm-hmm. and a lot of new people discovered it from that as you know a lot of a lot of young young people you know and uh, I've been pretty impressed with young metal crowds you know there's always a very strong contingent within the metal community of young people coming into it that go back and kind of do their research mm-hmm. you know and that reminds me of me when I was a kid you know like when I got into you know Black Sabbath and I would I think I got into them on like Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. And I went back and found all the old records, which was a lot harder to do back then. And, and if I, I got into a band, like say for instance, you know, Iron Maiden and, you know, Bruce Dickinson mentioned Samson or something. I went back and found those records you right. know, that he sang on with them. And uh, so I did my research and I found the stuff from the previous, previous time, you know, when I, I remember, yeah. uh, you know, I think I was reading, uh, uh, I forget who I was reading. I kind of grew up with Hendrix, so he's not really a good example. But, you know, like uh, an example would be like if, for instance, I were reading, you know, an Ingve article and he mentioned Hendrix and I went back and discovered Hendrix, you know, oh, yeah. something from 20 years, you know, 15, 20 years earlier. And uh, kids still do that, which I think is pretty great. Yeah, it's part, I mean, it's part of the fun for it for me. I mean, when yeah. I was younger, you know, the liner notes and the CDs are nowadays, you know, online interviews, whatever, and just, you know, just kind of going down the rabbit hole. When you uh, when you sat down to start the project back way back, you know ninety three. I know you know obviously everybody. Well, I started started the project well before ninety three. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Okay, what, when did you start I, working I, on I it? Actually, I actually started working on it in. I started writing slowly, writing music. I didn't have a lot of time to sit around and write tunes, but I, I slowly wrote the first three tunes, maybe the first four, something like that, um, and a bunch of other odds and ends riffs. Starting in probably late 1990. Okay. Okay. Mid to mid to late 1990. Shortly after I got off the road, death. Okay. Right. You know. I, you know. I did. Spiritual healing was the first album I ever played on, and then I toured with the band for, you know, about six weeks or something like that, to, all told. And uh, then then I I left, and so right about then, and I, I jo- immediately joined Obituary, but I also immediately started working on my own material. Okay. Now, did you? Have to, did you use any of that for obituary? That material uh, that you're no, writing? No, no. See, yeah. Well, when I came into death, I uh, uh, when I joined death, I uh, you know I was sort of a blank slate writing wise. I hadn't been writing anything, mm-hmm. and so when they played me the four songs they already had, because I, I co-wrote uh, on half the album for Spiritual Healing for the Desperate Healing album that right. came out in 1990, um, they had four songs completed pretty much completed except for like solo sections and stuff and some of the lyrics when I arrived. Um, but the arrangements and all the riffs were put together. And so then uh, I immediately started co-writing the remaining four songs for the album with those guys, particularly me and Chuck, you know, Terry had some contributions as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when Chuck would ask me if I had a, Oh, you know, I got this rift. You got a part that maybe can connect to this, you know, maybe be like a bridge to, you know, or maybe it would be, you know, a co- Hey, I got this as a verse. You got something that could be a chorus or just anything like that. And he would present it to me, and I would just kind of usually just make up something on the spot. I, r- I very rarely had anything, you know, prepared. But because of that, I really wrote in their style. Okay, it was just sure. It was right in front of me. I had just learned four songs. 
I was a blank slate writing wise. And so when Chuck played me a riff, I wrote something that was a reaction to that riff right on, on the spot. So it very much sounded like death. It sounded like spiritual healing. It, it just really, really fit. But because I started when I joined Obituary, their album was written. I mean, I, I went right into the studio and played my solos before I even learned how to play any of the songs myself. Okay, sure. And, uh, you know, shortly after we, I mean, right after we finished recording the album, we started rehearsing and I started learning the songs, but I was also already writing. But because I wasn't writing for Obituary, I just wrote whatever I felt like writing. Okay. I, was, I wasn't I was reacting to, like, say, for instance, Trevor saying, hey, I got this, you know, chorus riff where you got like a, you know, a verse for this or something, you know, like a yeah. And so I, that didn't happen, you know, so I wasn't like coming up with something that was a, an immediate reaction to what I was being played. I was, I was instead just creating out of thin air for myself. And so it started coming out with the, I started writing the disincarnate riffs and, uh, it really had nothing to do with obituary. It didn't sound like obituary at all. So when Trevor eventually did, you know, say to me, Hey, you got some riffs. We need to, you know, we're possibly going to go ahead and start thinking about writing some stuff. What do you got? You got any riffs? Got any songs? You know, it was kind of like they just wanted to see whether I was, whether I had stuff that fit obituary. Well, mm -hmm. the only material I had was disincarnate riffs. And I played it for Trevor and his reaction was, well, that sounds cool, but uh, it's not obituary. Yeah. And I was different. like, yeah, it just doesn't fit obituary. I don't even think he made an attempt to learn any of them. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, that doesn't really sound like obituary. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> right. It really, it really doesn't. And I said, you know, I, and I said, well, the way I wrote, with Chuck was he played me something and I, I came up with my reaction to it. You know, when we do that, I'll be able to write in a way that mm -hmm. fits. But if I'm just creating out of a, you know, out of a vacuum, you know, to, uh, myself in a room, I'm not going to write an obituary song. I'm going to write a, a James Murphy slash disincarnate song. Cause that's yeah. what I ended up. Doing. So I decided right then and there that the ideas I had already tooling around in my head about, you know, starting my own band as like a side project to obituary. I decided I definitely was going to do it. And I also realized right about then that it probably wasn't going to be a, a side project. You okay. Know, that, it, that it probably was going to be, you know, I wasn't making any, you know, evil plans to, to quit obituary or anything, but, uh, I already had sort of a feeling that the writing was on the wall. You know, mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, they, I think that that was just a test. You know, he wanted to see if I could write and being, I did, I didn't pull some riffs out of my butt that sounded exactly like obituary at the moment, you know, He's probably made up his mind now that I can't write obituary stuff. Mm. But, you know, like I said, the way I would have been able to do that would have been in the room with them, in the room with them, immersed in it. I totally would have been able to write that style. But, yeah, you know, we already were, you know, feeling each other out. You know, they're they're great guys and, and a cool band, but we were very different types of people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And sure. uh, and clearly when I wrote what I really wanted to write, it sounded nothing like that. So, you know, I knew the writing was on the wall at that point. Yeah, yeah. So you basically had started compiling a couple songs um, mm -hmm. on your own, and then you got the yep. guys together and kind of went from there? Yeah, it was sort of a long, drawn-out course. Like, that was that was 1990, probably, that that happened with, mm -hmm. with Trevor. And uh, I spent the, the rest of 92 putting together the band, moving to Tampa, getting an apartment in Tampa, putting together the band because I had been living in Lakeland, uh, which is, you know, something, I don't know, like about 30 miles, 35, 40 miles away from Tampa. Okay. Sure. Um, and so I moved into Tampa and I, uh, found the band members and I, uh, started working on the deal 
you know, getting a deal. And so we signed a demo deal with Roadrunner. And that's when I, you know, I hadn't found the drummer yet. So I snagged, I had really only found the singer and a bass player who didn't actually make it to the album, but I found the singer and I didn't have a drummer. So I borrowed uh, Alex Marquez from Malevolent Creation mm-hmm. and Solstice. And uh, he played the drums on the demo. And uh, so when yeah, you got took it from there. When you got these guys together and, and when you were kind of putting some of the songs together yourself, were you setting out to do anything specific with it? You know, you know, you had a lot of different things going on in death metal. Did you have some ideas for where you wanted to take it or did it just come about as you went? I had a pretty solid vision of what I wanted to do. I, I, I had it right down to just not only the, you know, the sonic, the sonic palette, you know, but it's also the visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to avoid many, not all, but many of the typical death metal subject matter. I wanted it to be pretty death metal, you know, because I, number one, I still, I was still pretty in love with the genre at that point. I, it was very fun to play live, very, you know, great connection with the fans. You know, it's just powerful. It's fun yeah. to do, yeah. you know, because I got a lot of grief from the press, like, oh, well, you, you know, what are you doing? Just more death metal, you know, you just, mm. you know, especially being the time that it was, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was, you know, <laughs> it was, you know, Nirvana and crap like that was starting <laughs> to come onto the scene. Of course, they yeah. weren't really expecting me to do something like that, but they were looking for perhaps an evolution towards maybe something more, you know, jazzy or something. I don't sure, know, like, sort yeah. of like, like Death eventually did, like Cynic was doing, you know, a lot of these sure. bands you know, started doing that sort of thing. I just wanted a very powerful, dark band with a with a pretty broad palette, like, you know, where we could have kind of grindy bits, but we could have technical death metal bits. We could have just the really dark, dark, you know, just evil sounded stuff and, and yeah. doom, just full on doom parts. Exactly, just, right. You know, just, I, I wanted I wanted all that stuff. I mean, I, I liked so many different styles in death metal myself that I didn't see why I couldn't incorporate all of those. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that's really the only thing I was really thinking of was just like, you know, I don't want to just be like a doom band is slow all the time. I don't mm-hmm. want to be a grindcore band. That, it's not really never was my shtick. I wouldn't have wouldn't. You know, I mean, I loved a lot of those bands, but I, I wasn't, uh, you know, from that, you know, yeah, yeah. I went from the crusty punks and, you know, go, going into grindcore and all that stuff. I wouldn't. <laughs> none of that was, you know, where I was from, but I did love it. So, you know, I wanted to incorporate any vibe that I felt fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, as I started putting the songs together and I realized we just had this whole, this very dark thread running through everything. I didn't want to screw it up by throwing in some, you know, happy sounding part or, you know, some yeah. jazz fusion, you know, or anything like that. So I just kept it really, uh, dark, you know? And, uh, and I, I wanted to avoid though. Well, I didn't want to avoid the stylistic tropes of death metal. I wasn't trying to avoid those on the of the musical, you know, style. Yeah. Typical things that you would hear in death metal. I did want to avoid a lot of the lyrical tropes. I didn't want gore, you know. Mm-hmm. Didn't want any gore. I didn't want any satanic stuff. First of all, I'm not satanic. You'd have to you have to kind of believe in the Christian God in the first place to believe in Satan. Sure. I don't believe yeah. in any of that stuff. So yeah, none of that would have been true to me. I've always been really fascinated by psychological concepts and and you know the, just the state of of the human condition you know um socially and psychologically yeah and also i had uh, very much a, a reader you know and i loved a lot of the typical maybe 
and maybe here's where I well definitely here's where I probably dipped into some of the well-trodden ground already is that I was into you know we had some lyrics that were kind of loosely based on you know Hellraiser a sea of tears you know okay, we had yeah. uh, we had some HP Lovecraft inspired stuff uh, like uh, Entranced uh, which was like kind of inspired by like his short stories uh, the tomb and uh, behind the wall of sleep you know yeah but the rest of them were just sort of psychological sort of the human the dark side of the human social and psychological condition yeah so a little little different for the time sure yeah yeah definitely now i know you know one of the burning questions i'm sure you get a lot is if you're still planning on doing another album and if you did you know what would you want out of it what would you want it to sound like you know that kind of thing well i do want to do another one it's actually been planned for like 15 years (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay i've been thinking about it for the last 15 years wow Probably the first five years of that, I wasn't really in a good condition or position in life to do it. Yeah, with all you know, the health was, problems going on. Yeah, and for the last 10 years, it's really just, you know, I've been trying to build my business and, and, and have a life. Sure. Try to have a better life than I ever had when I was a musician, you know, full-time. Than when I was, yeah. I was still a musician, but when I was a full-time musician, especially given the changes in the industry that, you know, started it, you know more than a decade ago at this point. So, you know, I threw myself into the production and, you know, mixing and all of that sort of, you know, side of thing, yeah. side of things. And, uh, uh, it, it really just sort of became a, there's never time for it sort of thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, but now I'm kind of getting to where I should be able to do it. I mean, but I, I do, I do intend to do it and it's becoming more and more, it's coming more and more into focus. Okay. That it, that it, that it's a real thing. That I'm going to do soon. First of all, not getting any younger. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, would love to make it happen while I would still be able to go out and do some shows, you know, okay, and, yeah. uh, and support it, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't want to be uh, 70 years old trying to do shows, you yeah. know, so yeah. um, luckily I'm still a couple, you know, a few decades, you know, a couple <laughs> decades away from that. But uh, yeah, I hear um, you though. Uh, but so, you know what I mean? It's, it's currently, I actually have two of the other three original members on board. Okay, that's not um, bad. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned that I had a bass player when when we did the uh, the demo that got us to deal with Roadrunner. Right. Um, yeah. He departed right after the demo, and uh, we decided not to replace him. Okay. And sure. I I did the bass on the album. That's why you just see the four of us mm-hmm. on the album cover. If you if you have the album cover, if you've mm-hmm. seen it online or whatever. We never had a, an official formal bass player. We had a guy we took on the road, but uh, he wasn't, you know, our permanent guy. He basically yeah. disappeared after that tour. I haven't heard from him since. Yeah. So out of those three guys, I got two of them currently. Okay. That yeah. uh, say they're down to do it, want to do it, and it's just a matter of uh, follow through at this point. Cool. Cool. Um, I wanted to go back for a minute to, you know, you're talking about death and playing with Chuck on spiritual healing. And um, I was listening to it a couple times this week before we did this interview, just thinking about, you know, that album and, and what you had done on it. What was it like? You mentioned a little bit writing with Chuck. He would show, kind of show you something he had and you would kind of jump into it. What was yeah. it like writing with someone? I know he had such a, you know, he it seems like he had such a clear vision all the time. He had so much creative control. What was it like writing with someone like that? Was it mostly a smooth process? I honestly think that that's a reputation that he developed later on in his career. Okay. I don't think it was really so much the case on the, on the first three albums. 
because you know I knew he you know he had co-writers on the previous two and certainly when I joined right away it was like oh cool man you know let's you know let's write this together you know what do you got you got mm. some riffs you know what I mean it was easy as cake it was so easy wow there was nothing to it and I honestly don't think that he rejected anything that I presented okay wow yeah, so and, I wouldn't have expected and like I said, that. Some of the times I was, I was literally, you know, he's like, "Hey, dude, you got a part that will go with this, you know?" And he played me something, and I'll go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." And I would pick up my guitar, and I, I would just play the first thing, you know, yeah. whatever that part made me feel. I would just play it. Yeah, you know, I would just come up with it on the spot. You know, I mean, I know my intervals well enough. I hear something in my head, I can generally play it. You know, yeah. And so I would just, however, that what he played me made me feel. I would hear it in my head. I would go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I might falter a little bit the first couple of times, but he would hear what I was coming up with. And then as I as I got it together and played it for him properly, you know, he would, uh, uh, if I didn't do it right off the bat, uh, he, he was usually, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. You know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I understand that he had that reputation, but I, I have to think that that part of it, I mean, you know, I, I'm talking only about the writing. You know, side yeah. of things. And, uh, but for me, when I was in death, the writing thing was super, super simple. I mean, Terry jumped in there too. Terry had riffs. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? cool. and he, he contributed his riffs as well. And it, it went great. You know, it was so smooth, so much fun. We had so much fun during those writing sessions. It wasn't stressful at all. Stress didn't I mean, start really happening until the road. Okay, you know? sure. When you get on the road, you know, you got, you know, people from completely, you know, this came out completely differently, you know. Yeah, sure. I'm and, sure. You know, and, uh, you know, Chuck came from a, you know, a certain, you know, kind of family. I came from a different kind of family and we get along great during the writing process, but you know, sometimes you get on the road and sometimes you find out things about each other that you, cause you're, you know, when you're writing, you know, you get to go home, you know, like I, I think I spent one night a week at Chuck's house during the whole writing process. Mm, okay. And, sure. And, uh, but you know, then we get on the road, you're spending every night together, you know, every yeah. day, every moment together. And, you know, you start, different. You know, when you're in your early 20s, you know, and you got more than one strong-minded person, <laughs> yeah. it starts to become an issue. But certainly that was not the case with the writing. He was very, very, very easy to write with and very easy to get along with during that time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, and I'm sure I was too. And, you know, I got to, I want to qualify because I've sort of alluded to the fact that things got weird on, on the tour. Um, I don't want to come off sounding like I'm pointing a finger mm-hmm. you know okay because if i were if i'm going to point a finger at somebody i also have to take my other hand and point the other you know another finger at myself sure you know i was uh i was young and headstrong you know <laughs> i was in my yeah. early 20s and uh i have my own ideas about things you know yeah. sure and uh so I, I was you know i was headstrong and and uh i'm sure that uh from his point of view i was being quite the dick and and, and uh, when i look back <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, maybe that, that yeah. would maybe dickheaded. Of course, then I would point at things that he did, and, you know, in my opinion, you know, was, well, that was dickheaded that he did that. You know what I mean? And, sure, you know, sure. That's what happens when you're out on the road and you're young, you know. Yeah, it's of just course. Personalities sometimes clash, but I, I'm, I'm certainly not pointing a finger of blame, you know, away from myself, at least certainly not without pointing the other one back at me. Yeah. You know? I got you, man. I know because it sounds. It, we're listening to it, you know. It sounds like you guys were having a good time. Like I, uh, the song "Low Life," um, I think is the one. Oh yeah. 
with yeah. uh, the like soloing. Were you guys kind of soloing back and forth on that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe so. If I, if I, I mean, recall it just correctly, comes off we, so do a, smooth. we do a trade off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and me and Chuck Styles really complimented each other really well at that time. And I know, you know, he he told me at the time that you know he he wanted a guitar player in the band that would drive him and push him to be better, and that he felt that I was you know that I mm. did the bill really well in that regard. And, That's cool. Uh, you know, I, and I honestly do believe that we, that album was the album, the first death metal, full-on death metal album that came out and showed the world, hey, it's cool to play good solos, melodic solos right, on a death metal record. And, yeah. You know, I actually had a couple of the guys from Carcass tell me that one time, that that sort wow. of, that album gave them the confidence to start doing that on their That's records. really cool. And I think, and they really started with that on, I think, like their third just necroticism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it and it only went from there like you know even even more and because those guys are great guitar players you know yeah and uh um, but i think you know prior to that album people just thought you had to fucking yank on the whammy bar like Kerry <laughs> King, you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, oh, yeah uh, that's what's yeah i mean that's what's fact, cool about it man i mean like the it, it's the you know listening to it now it sounds like such a transitional album adding in the melodies and all that you know did it is that something that do you think that was a big part of just you coming into the band with that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, it was a really weird story how I got the gig. I mean, okay. I think Chuck was growing tired of the whammy bar thing. Okay, sure. Uh, of course he didn't play them. He didn't even have a bar on his guitars, but you know, his second guitar player at the time, Rick, you know, that's Rick's shtick, you know, and mm-hmm. Rick's really good at it. And, you know, absolutely no, I'm not throwing any shade when I say that, you know, Rick was a whammy bar guy because, you know, Rick was kind of the whammy bar king and, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he owns that and he's good at it, you know, okay, and, yeah. uh, it, it, it's definitely coming from a good place in me, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that there's a place for that and I think it sounds great. And I think he did a great job. Like I, oh, I, sure. I love Rick's stuff on, on, on leprosy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't play it because Chuck didn't want me to. And, uh, uh, it wasn't really my style to go that crazy on whammy bar. I use it. I use it a little bit more expressively. Okay, within sure. a melodic context. But when I ran into those guys one time, I, I had already done a tour with the band Agent Steel. Right. So I had sort of started my career as a, as a touring musician by getting a touring gig in the band Agent Steel. It was right before their, I think, second album, their third release, because they had an EP as well, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for Combat Records back in the day, back in 1987. Their album Unstoppable Force was about to be released, and they relocated from L.A. to Florida, and they started advertising for Guitar Player, and that happened to be the time that I was looking really hard to find a band, you know? Yeah. And I, I found their ad on the old Thoroughbred Music in Tampa, which was sort of a legendary place, you know, <laughs> right on Hillsborough Avenue, and so many bands started there, so many good guitar players worked. Ralph Santola used to teach there. Okay, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I used to run into Ralph there all the time, so I've been knowing Ralph for 31 years. Yeah, okay. You know? And, uh, you know, I'd go there, I'd see those guys, and and uh, they had a bulletin board, because this was obviously, this was 1987, it was way before the internet, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, or cell phone, you know, no average person having a cell phone, you know? Right, yeah. Like, bi- some wealthy business people had those big old bricks that gave them brain cancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, after three uses. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, no one had cell phones, no one had, certainly no smartphones, definitely no internet. You know, that probably blows the mind of some of your younger listeners, you know, thinking about a time before internet. Like, what? Right. How did you, <laughs> comp- how did you do anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, 
we were used to it, you know. So yeah, yeah. I know I wanted to look for a find. I wanted to look for bands. I couldn't hop online, you know. Couldn't couldn't roll out of bed in my PJs and stroll over to my computer. I had to get mm-hmm. up, take a shower, get dressed, and drive my ass all the way to Tampa. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. From Lakeland, and and go in there and and uh, look at the bulletin board, and then I, I saw spotted this ad, and I it had the little tear strips on the bottom where you take scissors and you cut it all the way across the bottom in little vertical strips. And each one of those little strips has phone number on it. You know? Yeah. And yeah, it just said right. that, a, that a, a, a combat records band didn't name the band was looking for a, a guitarist to go on their upcoming tour in support of their about to be released new album, mm. you know, in the UK and Europe. And I was just like, wow, let me get one of these. Yeah. And there were, there were several more strips on there, you know, and I said, yeah. hey, let me go ahead and cut down the competition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smart. Throw the rest smart. of them away, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, I answered and I, I ended up getting the gig and it turned out to be the band Agent Steel. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's kind of pertinent to how I got into death and how I met Chuck and how I got to know these okay. guys because I, uh, I got that gig and I went over and I did the tour and uh, that's. That's all I, I, you know, I wasn't sure whether I was going to stay in the band beyond that. I mean, I did write a song with them mm-hmm. and it is on uh, a live album that eventually came out from our show at the Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, that was my first professional, quote unquote, you know, band experience. They, they were signed to, you know, the original Combat Records and uh, uh, which is the same label as as Death and, and Nuclear Assault and a bunch of other really cool bands right. back in the day. And, uh, so the album was already done though. So I didn't play on the album, but it came out right at the top, beginning of that tour. Just as we started the tour, it, it, it was released. And, uh, we went and toured Europe with uh, nuclear assault opening for us, believe it or not. Wow. Wow. And, uh, yeah, uh, agent still had more releases at that point And, uh, uh, or this, something like that. I don't know. It was considered for some reason, a headliner when nuclear sure. assault wasn't, I don't really know why. And, uh, but, you know, we, you know, we had tour shirts the whole nine. And of course I got my share of them. And, and when I came back to the States and carried on about my business, cause I didn't want to stay in that band. I had no desire or plan. Yeah, to. Of course. So, uh, I, I basically just started teaching guitar lessons and, uh, looking for a band again. And ni- that was 1987, that tour. And in 1988, I went into Tampa for a show at the sunset club, which doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, and it was death and they were supporting leprosy. And, uh, I had seen those guys before, but I had never really talked to them, you mm-hmm. know, and I certainly had never really met Chuck. I had seen the other guys around, you know, but I kind of knew what his voice was like a bit from him talking on stage, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and, and whatever on uh, some of the small shows that I had seen. So I went to this, I went to this show and, uh, I had decided that night to wear one of the Age of Steel shirts that I got on the tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I had done. And so I'm wearing this agent steel shirt. It's only a year old. So it looks nice and new still. And I'm, I get out of my car and I'm, I talk to a few people and then I head for the door of the sunset club. Lots of people are still milling around outside. It's still day. It's still pretty light outside. And, uh, as I'm almost to the door, I hear cool shirt, dude, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, why do I kind of recognize that voice? Kind of sounds like a yeah. California beach guy, like surfer <laughs> dude or something. And I, I turn around and look, and who it was, and it was Chuck. He was standing there talking to a couple of fans, I guess, you know? Right, right, sure. And, uh, oh, hey, man, how's it going? You know? <laughs> like, oh, good to meet you. And we just started talking. 
And from there, I met the rest of the band. We hung out a couple of times during that night. And uh, I actually was doing some uh, uh, interviewing here and there for a Dutch fanzine. And okay. uh, uh, so I said, well, hey, let me interview you real, real quick for this Dutch fanzine. So I did. And uh, we went across the street to do that. A couple of pictures against a building over there. And we're just shooting the crap. But during the course of this, I had kind of noticed that Chuck, Bill, and Terry were a little bit snubbing Rick. Mm, not okay. too blatantly, not too openly. He really acted like he kind of could see it, but didn't care, you know? Okay, yeah. He would just kind of, whatever, dudes, you know, and, and walk away, you know? And I would see them guys kind of roll their eyes, and I thought, well, that sucks, you know? Definitely yeah. sucks for Rick. That, that's a bad dynamic, but who knows? I don't know. I don't really know any of these guys. Maybe there's just cause for it, you know? And yeah. you know what? If I know that if I were running a band, you know, if I, if I had my own band and there was someone that I felt like I had to roll my eyes about, you know, they probably wouldn't be in the band long, you know? So I thought right. maybe, you know, who knows? So I said, Hey guys, you know, not, not to overstep any boundaries here or anything and stick my nose into anything, but you know, if for some reason you guys were to ever part with Rick, here's my phone number. And I think Terry yeah. took it and stuck it in his pocket. But you know, Chuck right off the bat, when I started talking to him, when he caught me at the door was like, Oh, you're that guitar player that got the, he asked, he asked me where I got that shirt. And I said, well, I basically earned it, you know, touring with the band. He goes, oh, are you, you're that guitar player I heard about that got the gig, you know? And I was like, yeah. So he already okay. knew. And it, and it turns out Chuck was a big Agent Steel fan. Huge Agent Steel okay, fan. Loved sure, them. Yeah. Loved them. So, and he knew the guitar player that I replaced. And he knew that guy was really good. To be And it was, the guy's name was Bernie Vers, Versailles. I think it's just okay. like the, just, I think pretty much just like the city in France, Versailles. Yeah. And Bernie was in fact really, really good. And no joke, Bernie blew me away back then. I could barely do passable, barely passable versions of his solos. When okay. I on that game, he yeah. smoked, he smoked me, but trying to learn those helped improve me. Like it improved sure. it. it actually helped me, you know, made me a better guitar player, but Chuck, Chuck I guess knows Chuck you figured, can handle it. Wow. You can handle Bernie Versailles, you know, solos. You must mm -hmm. be pretty damn good. So when I, at the point that I, you know, had he not had that sort of background in his mind, me offering my thing, they probably just have politely taken it and it would have been lost, you know. Yeah. But they had a clue that perhaps I actually could play, you know. Right. Yeah. And, for sure. and, and they clearly were not completely happy with Rick. So they held on to it. So shortly after that gig, though, I moved to Atlanta because I wanted to go to the Atlanta Institute of Music, which at the time was like a little it was like a sister school of uh or a daughter school, if you will, of uh, GIT out in LA. Okay. Which I think was still called GIT at the time, Guitar Institute of Technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to that school. So I, through some mutual connections, I met the guys. I, I, I met Dave Stewart of, of Hollow's Eve over the phone. He was looking for a roommate and, and possibly someone to jam with him in a, in a resurrection of Hollow's Eve. And so I moved to Atlanta, moved into a, uh, a rental house with him and uh, met the other guys in Hollow's Eve. We started jamming and I started, I went and did the tour, did the orientation at, G, at, uh, at uh, AIM. And then I got a job as a landscaper. And uh, I quickly realized I was never going to be able to save the money to go to AIM as a landscaper. Oh yeah, sure. But I was jamming with Hollow's Eve. So I thought, oh, well, you know, at least my chosen career path is, not totally lost. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm still doing something. And out of the blue, Chuck called me. He said, Hey, man, 
we got, we, we, we fired Rick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I was like, wow. And, uh, but you won't believe this. Now, I've told this story before, but, uh, I actually turned him down. I told him, really? Yeah. I told him, you know, I and you were a I fan would, at this point, would, correct? Yeah, a big fan, big fan. Of yeah, that, of course. Yeah, I had both. I had Scream and Leprosy. I loved the band. Okay, sure. And uh, uh, but I, t- I said, but I'm jamming with these guys, you know, with Hollow's Eve now. We're not really sure whether we're going to call it Hollow's Eve or not. It's still up in the air. But we're jamming. We're writing music. It's coming, going along good. I and I just yeah. moved here like five months ago. I'd hate to just let these guys down. And so I get off the phone with him. He's like, okay, well, you know, sorry to hear that, but good luck and and. Uh, you know, that's cool that you're loyal, you know? Yeah, sure. Take it easy. You know, and uh, so I got off the phone with him. And uh, and Dave, like I said, Dave from from Hollow's Eve was my roommate. And uh, he asked me, uh, so how'd it go? What was, what? Because he's the one who, he's the one that took the call. I was in my bedroom, you know? Oh, okay. And he comes knocking on my door and goes, oh, hey, dude, uh, I think Chuck from Death is on the phone for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? So when I got right. off the phone, he was naturally curious how it had went. And uh, I said, he basically told me that the gig in death was mine. You know, if I wanted to come, you know, it, it'd be kind of a tryout, but he was pretty confident in my ability, you know, come on down, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, it, it was subject to a tryout, but he also expressed confidence that I'd be able to prep past the tryout, whatever. Sure. Um, so I told him, I said, well, he offered me to try out for death and almost guaranteed position unless I just go down there and completely blow it. But, uh, I told him that I'm, you know, committed to working with you guys, you know, and I was expecting, I think, I think I was expecting, Oh, cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. What I got was, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> are you fucking you went crazy? It the right way though. You I'd got a chance to play that. in death and you turn it down. So <laughs> I immediately went and tried to call Chuck. Back. Yeah. Well, he had. Well, you got again. This was 1989 at this point. Okay. 1989. I had I had moved to Atlanta, and uh, there was people still didn't have cell phones, man. It was still 10 years mm-hmm. away from people starting to have cell phones, and uh, so I called and I reached his house and his mom answered, <laughs> and she goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, Chuck. You know, she didn't know who I was from Adam then. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, sorry, Chuck. You know, Chuck left. I don't I don't really know when he's going to be back." Possibly, he might have gone to his girlfriend's or, or out to rehearsal or something. And, you know, he's either won't be back till late tonight or, or tomorrow sometime. And, uh, you know, late tonight, okay, he lives with his mom. I won't be able to call late tonight. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. wake up old people, you know, they get mad. You know, <laughs> sure. so I figured I just got to call him tomorrow. So I, uh, waited till the next day and I called him and, uh, I caught him and he goes, yeah, well, what I did after I got off the phone with you, man, was I called this other guy we had as like a backup in case you didn't work out. Mm. This guy, Mike. And, Damn. uh, yeah. And, uh, so then where I went last night after that was to rehearsal to try him out. And he came down and he played and he was really good. And we all got along with him really good. And we told him already he has the gig. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I was crestfallen. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. a total bummer. And I just said, uh, I said, look, I've already, told my because that was like a friday and uh, i said uh, i i already told my work that i was gonna uh uh you know i already i had already taken the day off mm, okay, I, said, yeah. I, I had already already took the day off from my work and already planned to drive down there today be there for the weekend and try out for you guys you know yeah, see how it goes yeah. come back up and get my stuff if it works out well uh 
I didn't really have much stuff. It would all fit in my car anyway, so it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to come down anyway. I've already told my family I'm coming. Everything. I didn't think you guys would, you know, fill the spot that quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm already coming. So I'd love to at least meet with you guys somewhere. I can play for you. So just in case this guy doesn't work out, you'll already know that yeah, you, you can do have, it. That I that I can do it. You and he said, "Well, I mean, okay, you can come if you want, but we've already got our guy. I think it's going to work out." But they weren't averse to meeting with me and hanging out, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they had me come over to, I believe it was Terry's house. Came to Terry's house, and uh, we were hanging out in Terry's room. We shot the shit for a while. It was just me, Bill, Terry, and Chuck. And uh, so then, before I left, I set up my boombox. And I had this little thing called a Tom Schultz rock man. And it was kind of like what, you know, kids might equate today to like a line six pod. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Although one of those little things you can just play guitar into without an amp, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I was a, this, this particular boom box had a way in boom boxes. Yeah. People have to people listening to this. Probably <laughs> anyone under, anyone under 30 right now, probably like, what? A what? Yeah. What the hell is that? You know, <laughs> a what box? Uh, <laughs> had a boom box and I, I had a, uh, you know, leprosy and, and, and scream on cassette. And I had a way to inject, it had like an input where you could sort of inject something and mix it with it. And so I was able, or I had a little practice amp, something. And so I, I, I set it up, played the tape and I just played along with it right there in Terry's bedroom. And I played along with like four or five songs. When it came to the solos, I knew Chuck was, was over the bar solo. So I didn't even put the bar in my guitar. Oh, okay. And uh, I just I played just my own solos whenever it would be Rick playing. So I just had to play over them. But I played the yeah, songs, yeah. and I, I guess I played them really good. And I guess he liked my soloing. And, and they were like, yeah, dude, wow, you're really good, man. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll call you if something happens. But, you know, it was kind of implied, uh, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, mostly it was just to hang, you know, looking at records and listening to some records and stuff. And uh, Yeah, sure back when people used to actually get together <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, do that kind of thing. And uh, so I left and went back up to Atlanta. I mean, I was just really bummed out, you know? Yeah, of course. About the whole thing. And uh, I think I was back like three, four days and I was back working at the landscaping job. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, here comes, I kind of distantly hear the phone ring. Here comes Dave on my door again. Oh, it's Chuck again, dude. It's, it's evil Chuck again, dude. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I went and picked up the phone. I was like, oh, oh, wait, what's up? And he goes, dude, Mark did not work out. He just did not. It's, and I was just like, well, what happened? Playing or put, no, he played good, but he just, and he was just unreliable. You know, he, he, he canceled two rehearsals in a row. Like, oh, he, there you go. He, he you know, for, like his second and third rehearsals ever with the band, he called in, Oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. I got this or that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were just like, Oh, um, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. And sure. they, they called me and said, dude, you've already tried out. You've got the gig. Right on. <laughs> come on down. And I was like, I'll be pack. I'm going to start packing my car. As soon as I got off the phone with you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I packed my guitar. I, I packed my car. Uh, the, the guys all, uh, the, the, uh, Hollow's Eve guys and some of our friends, um, which were mostly the guys in a band called Nihilist. Obviously okay. not obviously yeah. not the Swedish Nihilist. It was the US right. Georgia Nihilist, who was yep. like sort of a, a thrash slash death type band. Mm -hmm. Very, very heavy on the thrash elements in that band. 
But uh, interesting story is Richard and Britt Turner from the bass player and drummer, respectively, of not of the U.S. Nihilist are still active today in music. They are the rhythm section of uh, Blackberry Smoke, the oh, southern no rock band, the southern wow, the southern rockers Blackberry Smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know and you're talking uh, about. so they're still they're still doing it too. And uh, you know they all sort of threw me a little party, and uh, then I woke up the next day and hopped in my car and took off. And, right, uh, man. <laughs> was in death and immediately just started, immediately in, entered into the rehearsals for spiritual and immediately started writing. And that's sort of how that happened. And uh, if there was anything else that I was trying to get to as the end came of that ginormously long story, I've forgotten it. <laughs> that's okay. No, man, I, I, that's an awesome story, man, just to hear that. And I can't imagine how stoked you were, you were just driving down there. I mean, you're already a big fan of this band. And oh, yeah. They were already making waves, you know. They oh, were and I knew, at that point. I knew that they were writing an album. And, yeah. that, you know, they had a deal. I had their other two albums. I had them on cassette. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, okay, this is real. I'm finally going to actually, for real, I've started the tour. You know, I've done a tour of the UK and Europe, but, you know, and, uh, yeah. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. Now, I was curious, did you follow any of the stuff after you were on any of the death albums afterwards or did you, did you, not, you know? not for years, not for years, you know, okay. um, I started focusing on my own thing. Um, yeah. you know, so I, was, well, I, I went right into obituary and then, and then, you know, then I started immediately working on disincarnate material and, you know, disincarnate was really during that whole time where my heart was at. Yeah, sure. You know, and, uh, it's just the thing about disincarnate is we, we sort of, that album came out in 93 and if you remember 93 it was like it was like the death metal apocalypse yeah it was going downhill yeah. yeah bands were getting dropped left and right roadrunner dropped almost every band they had the only mm-hmm. ones they didn't drop at that time were like i think obituary and deicide yeah okay everybody else got dropped and uh they stopped signing death metal bands everyone kind of stopped signing death metal bands they started mm-hmm. looking for their own, all those labels started looking for their own grunge yeah, know? yeah. Like I think, you know, like Roadrunner signed like Grunt Truck and like Tad or something like, you know, some stuff like that, you know. And uh it was very dicey whether we were going to get a second record. It was okay, very dicey, yeah. you know, because uh sales, you know, for death metal went down across the board. I remember it was just such a weird phenomenon because you would wonder, well, why would it affect death metal sales? Well, the people who yeah. like death metal like death metal, right? But, and that's what you would think. And that's what I would have thought, you know, I I would still be scratching my head about that, except mm-hmm. I learned something about the fickle nature of people and the average music fan. Now, obviously, there's a lot of dedicated metalheads that have yeah, sure. just never stopped loving metal. They maybe have different periods and they might have had lulls and whatever, but they love metal their whole life, you know. Yeah. But I worked at a record store during that time. So all that time, Death, Obituary, and Disincarnate, you know, I worked at Aces Records in Tampa, Florida. And okay. uh, I saw starting in like probably 92 and definitely going strong in 93 people that I had sold many, many, many a metal album to coming in all of a sudden wearing doc Martens and a flannel shirt. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That I'd only ever seen wearing like metal shirts. Wow. Come in wearing doc Martens, a flannel shirt over a Pearl jam shirt or something or a Nirvana shirt and selling their selling or trading their, death metal and metal collections to get, you know, Pearl Jam yeah. and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and, and all the other bands like that, you know, Smashing Pumpkin, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, plus 
Plus it, the whole black metal thing going on too, I'm sure. That that really didn't start making a dent until like 94, 95. Okay. That's when it really that's when it really started making a dent in the US. Yeah, it was making waves in Europe, no doubt, at that mm-hmm. point. But Europe never really caved it, you know, never really Europe's not as fickle. Europe fans are not as fickle as a lot as, right. as the average American fan is, you know. Like I said, there's luckily a very strong contingent of very dedicated fans who know what they like and they're gonna like it no matter what's popular. But yeah. death metal was definitely on a at a peak and you know, because as it got more popular, a lot of the more fickle people started, you know, bought into it. And then immediately, as soon as grunge started becoming popular, that's what they figured they were, you know. And I, I'm not Hey, I like a lot of the grunge bands. You know what I mean? I sure. love Alice yeah. in Chains, you know, and I, yeah. I'm one of the rare people that, from metal that actually kind of likes Pearl Jam. Yeah. You know? Okay. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I recognize, you know, Eddie Vedder sings like a Billy Goat, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I, I, I kind of like Pearl Jam, but, you know, I don't play that kind of music. I'm not influenced yeah. by that kind of music, but I can appreciate those bands for what they are. But, yeah, yeah. But that kind of explains what happened. Like, literally, people who were buying metal stopped. Mm-hmm. Spell off. Yeah, you can see how that would be hard to keep the band, you know, going to try and do another album and all that. Yeah, that would it was be a really uh, hard time. We, yeah, and we went out and did the tour, and it was it was rough. I had done multiple successful tours in the U.S. with Death and Obituary. I had done mm-hmm. a big tour in the U.S. with Death, and I had done two big tours in the U.S. with Obituary. And yeah. They were they were very successful, and I certainly hoped for better. But of course, you know, I knew it was going to be a hard slog. I, I told the guys in the band, you know, hey, first couple tours might be pretty hard, but I was I still wasn't really factoring in what what grunge was doing to the musical landscape, and so it, it was a really really hard rough rough tour. And it's one of those tours that today more people claim to have seen one of the shows than ever showed up at those shows. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to be fair, probably some of them just really don't remember those. You know, they were <laughs> pot and alcohol haze back then. Yeah, they, they think yeah. they went to the show, but they didn't. But, uh, uh, you know, there were shows that were really successful and some shows that were very sparsely attended. But yeah. it was really rough. So when we came back from that tour and it had gone so kind of tough, we definitely came back in the red, and uh, which was tough for us because no one had money, you know. Yeah, of course. And we came back for all personally in the red. You know, the rest of my band were kind of young guys. They started thinking, well, they didn't know. This is their first tour. They hadn't, they didn't know anything. So that, yeah, they were worried about, well, we're really young. You know, our families still want us to go to college. Maybe we should do that. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, and uh, Roadrunner saying, well, we don't necessarily want to exercise the option for the next record. Uh, well, mm. let's, we need to hear a demo, you know? Oh, okay. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, of course, back then, though, they gave you the money because you had to go to a studio to do a demo. So they were going to finance a demo, but it never got to that point because as things were just sort of falling apart and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with the band, whether we were even going to have a deal, um, that's when I got the call from Testament. Right, right. And yeah, yeah. what are you going to Yeah, obviously, yeah. you're going <laughs> to like, take that call. Well, Testament's one of my favorite thrash bands ever, so... Yeah, definitely doing that. <laughs> In fact, yeah. I had I had a small handful of uh, cassettes with me on that and with my Walkman on that tour I did with Agent Steel. And one of them was The Legacy. OK, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, another one was King Diamond Abigail and uh, <laughs> trying to remember some of the others. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Death. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, Speed yeah. Bloody Orc was one of them. So. Right, right. 
So yeah, so it was it was definitely a weird thing. Now, man, I'm I'm late to go for my for my job here, but I gotta ask one more. Just since you brought up Testament, I mean, when you did jump into the band like that, I'm sure you've been asked before, but w- was that a nervous thing for you to do? I mean, were, was there a lot of pressure jumping into a huge band like that and contributing? It, you know, at that point, I had just been busy, busy, busy in the business. I had made let me count one, two, three, four albums. I had played on four full albums as a contributing musician and or writer, you know, yeah. and, you know, or, and writer, you know, um, because, you know, I wrote music, I, I wrote and played on spiritual healing. You know, I played on uh, cause of death. I played on uh, death shall rise by cancer. And then I wrote and played on, you know, my own disincarnate album. So this was my 90, 91, 92, 93. I had four years. I had done four albums and a rook of tours. Yeah, I had just been on the road. When I wasn't on the road, I was in the studio. So I was at the absolute top of my game. Okay, and uh, yeah. I, I was, I was, ready. I was honed razor sharp. So mm-hmm. I, I, I had a great deal of confidence. I, I'm not going to, you know, try to front and say I wasn't nervous. I definitely <laughs> was. I wanted yeah. that gig. I wanted, you know, I, I definitely wanted that gig. But I knew that I could play Skolnick stuff, and I knew. Yeah that they were going to want someone who would actually play Skolnick stuff properly because, mm-hmm. and they basically told me, yeah, you need to be able to play Skolnick stuff because his solos are like iconic to the songs. So, you yeah, know, yeah, the fans expect course. to hear them. They don't want to hear your, you know, when I was in death and obituary, I didn't play Rick stuff or Alan stuff yeah, and nobody wanted me to not the mm-hmm. bands and not the fans. They wanted to, yeah. hear, you know, maybe a few of the fans, you know, really, because like I said, Rick was really good at his bar stuff, you know, and, and some mm-hmm. of those solos are re- really cool, you know, uh, for what, you know, for just good examples of uh, having a mastery of that kind of bar playing. Of but so possibly there were some, but uh, in the overall, you know, they wanted me to improvise. So I, I just improvised. I Those solos, I improvised every night. I just came up with something off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, 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 but going into Testament was a completely different deal. You know, it was yeah. like these solos, people want to hear people, them. people expect yeah. to hear them and you have to play them note for note. So they gave me like a list of like eight or nine songs to learn. I think something like that, maybe 10. And, uh, I had, uh, I think like a week to do it. And, wow. uh, they also <laughs> sent me a four track, you know, from a four track, you know, multi-track take a, a cassette that was bounced down with like, I think the mix on two of them, you know, stereo, mm-hmm. it takes up two of the tracks if it's stereo. And then I had two tracks open to record a solo. Eric mm-hmm. sent me that. And I, I luckily had a four track, you know, a compatible four track player, no big deal. I popped it in and it, what it was, was an early demo version. I think it was like drum machine even of uh dog face gods from the low okay, album. Yeah. And so yeah, I, right. I had to, he wanted me to write and record a solo and send him the tape back, let him hear it. So I did it. And that solo that I did on that early demo version of Dogface Gods is pretty much exactly the same solo. I recorded it exactly the same when I actually did the wow. session. And yeah. uh, But he loved the solo, so that made them decide to fly me out. And when they flew me out, they gave me a list of songs to to audition with. And uh, I, I just sat, I remember I, I, I left my Tampa apartment, let that go, because uh, I, I, I was so confident that I just let that go, and I, yeah. I, I came back. I, I, I uh, moved back to Lakeland, moved into my mother's house, basically just took up living in her living room, made it my rehearsal place, 
and and learning you know din mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I sat there all day long while they were at work and then I would take up again after they went to bed practicing the songs learning them and practicing them yeah and sure. then I flew out rehearsed got the gig and I I was wow. I was definitely nervous I wasn't I was unsure whether I had it or not you know and yeah. uh, it, I, I remember we went around the corner from the rehearsal space to uh, this very typically California uh, little cafe restaurant and uh, ordered some weird food that I had never had before being from Florida. (laughs) (laughs) This sort of weird sort of esoteric artisan sandwiches and stuff. Like, What is this crap? I don't know what it is. And, uh, but it it tasted good. And uh, so we shot the shit. The the, the thing was we weren't done. We were going to go back and and play the last couple of songs and, and wrap up. So the plan mm-hmm. was, well, we're just, we're hungry. Let's go get food. And, uh, we went and got food. And, uh, at some point I went, I went to the bathroom. I was like, ah, oh, I got to take a leak. I'm right back. You know, I took a leak. I came out and they were all just sitting there looking at me weird. They were all just staring at me. <laughs> and they're like, Chuck's goes, well, we've kind of already kind of came to a decision. And he sounded like he was trying to let me down easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know. We've talked about it amongst ourselves, and uh, he was just kind of shaking his head, kind of <laughs> looking down, uh, you know? Yeah. You know, as, like, if, oh, shit. as if oh, I got to break bad news to somebody. This sucks, you know? And then he said, and we decided, and he just looked at me, that you got the gig. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. All right. So I'm moving right. Down there you go. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, man, uh, you've got a lot of amazing stories. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. I wish I could keep asking more. I've got so many other questions I could oh, yeah, ask yeah. you. But... I didn't let you get to most of your questions, huh? Sorry about no, that. <laughs> this was better, man. This was much better. <laughs> yeah, awesome you know, stories. You, you caught me on a good day, well, uh, kinda, or, you know, if quote-unquote good day. It depends on your yeah. interpretation of it, but I, I can I can uh, run off at the mouth sometimes when I'm talking about all those old yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. You need, you need to write a book or something, man, with all those uh, <laughs> yeah, stories yeah, and experiences. Ultimately, I will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I got to run. So I really appreciate it, man. And uh, like I said, I uh, hope to see here some, uh, some more disincarnate or, or something like that from you in the future. And if you do, you know, we'll be there for it. So right on. Thanks, Jason. Take care.